Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Good morning. God bless you all. It is a pleasure and privilege for all of us to be gathered here today in worship. As we gather, I'm going to give you just one brief program note, as it were, because it happens earlier in the service. We're privileged to have our children's choir singing with us this morning, and our new children's choir director, Callie-Ann Grossheim. Callie-Ann, would you stand and wave at everybody? If any of you would like to join the children's choir, come talk with Callie-Ann. Great. <laughs> Let us be called together in worship now as we read responsively from the 84th Psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are the highways to Zion. Brothers and sisters in Christ, one of our historical confessions that we still say today, written in 1563, 
opens with a question that invites us to articulate our relationship with our Creator God. The question posed is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the response given, that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we belong to Christ, let's go fearlessly into his care with confession. Merciful God, in your gracious presence, we confess our sin and the sin of this world. Although Christ is among us as our peace, we are a people divided against ourselves as we cling to the values of a broken world. The profit and pleasures we pursue lay waste the land and pollute the seas. The fears and jealousies that we harbor set neighbor against neighbor and nation against nation. We abuse your good gifts of imagination and freedom, of intellect and reason, and have turned them into bonds of oppression. Lord, have mercy on us. Heal and forgive us. Set us free to serve you in the world as agents of your reconciling love in Jesus Christ. Amen. Hear us, O God, as we lift up our personal prayers of confession to you. Let us use this silence, O God, to come to you. Amen. That follow-up to that question from the Heidelberg Confession is this question. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And the answer, three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. The second is how I am set free from all my sin and misery. And the third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Brothers and sisters, let us thank God for this deliverance, for I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. May the peace of Christ be with you. Let's turn to one another now and greet one another with a good morning and God bless.
That is a joyful noise. Friends, we seek to extend and enjoy the joy of Christ in many, many different ways in the life of this church. So let me mention just a few things that are coming up as a way of inviting you into a full and exciting experience of Christ here in the life of this community. First of all, Christmas is coming. I know you don't want to hear that unless you're waiting for that present from Santa that you still haven't gotten after all these years. But Christmas is coming, and you're going to be seeing announcements from us about all of the activities and events of the Christmas season. Please pay attention to those now. Put those things on your calendar because we don't want you to miss out. One of those things, in some ways, the beginning of the season is our alternative Christmas market that uh, kicks off two Sundays from now on the 19th of November. This is our opportunity to support and be part of the missions of our church and also honor and give to those whom we love who are part of our Christmas list. So be sure to be here on the 19th. Next Sunday... Following this service, we will stay in the sanctuary, those who so desire, uh, to have a chat about what's going on in the Middle East. We will plan to spend about an hour together speaking specifically about that topic. We do hope to live stream as well as record that experience. If you can't be here in that way, you can participate at some other possible time. We have a community service opportunity in front of us tomorrow afternoon at 1.30. We'll gather at the Interfaith Community Center over in Escondido and make sack lunches for several hundred folks. So if you're looking for a way to be involved in a hands-on, tangible form of ministry, that's an opportunity for you. So let me say a phrase and then you say it after me. And it's very simple. You've heard it before. We the church. We the church. That has been our motto, our theme, our focus in this traditional fall season of thinking about our giving of all that we have and are to the work and ministry of the Lord, not only as we live our own lives, but as we serve Christ in the midst of that. Probably tomorrow in your snail mail when you go to the post office or the letter carrier comes to see you. You are going to have an envelope in your box that looks like this. I'm showing it to you so that you don't automatically throw it out with the, order, with the other 42 pieces of junk mail that you get. This is not junk mail. This is mail from the senior pastor of the church, for heaven's sakes. We the church. In this letter, you're going to find a letter from me. I would encourage you to read it. You're also going to find a pledge card that looks like this. You're going to find a small brochure that lists some of the ministries and things that we're involved with. What we would love for you to do is remember that simple phrase, we, the church, to continue to pray about it, and then over the course of this week to think even more deeply about how you are going to participate through your pledge and giving in the life of our congregation. Next Sunday, the 12th, 
is our Stewardship Dedication Sunday. And we invite you to bring those pledge cards here and to place them in the offering plate. If you're not going to be here, simply mail them to me. Or if you would like to simply drop me an email and say, Jack, increase my pledge by 100% this year, then we're happy to take your pledge in that way. Does that make sense to everybody? Good. It's become our tradition now, Jim, to give you something other than just a letter or so, to give you something to help you remember what all of this is all about. And so today, out on a special table on the patio, we have for you these special keychains. Now, they are indeed special. They might look normal to you from here, but you'll see when you get up to get one. The, bra- the, uh, the loop part of this keychain is braided leather because we've been celebrating the fact that we are the church, that we are all braided, knit together into a family, into a community of faith. That's a great blessing to us, and it's a great way that we can bless others. So it's a braided keychain, and that, my friends, is the key. That's the key to our life together. You get to put your own key or keys on this keychain. In my household, I'll put three keys on this keychain. The other person who lives in my household will put about 82 keys <laughs> on this keychain. That's all I'm going to say about that. Be sure to get your keychain. As you do that, remember this passage from Ecclesiastes that two, <laughs> there it is. Whew. See, I always take a risk when I tease her. She's going to come back at me. That's just the way it works. (laughs) Let's remember this passage from Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. We are the church. It's a great blessing and joy. So we remember that now in our worship as we have an opportunity to present our tithes and pledges to the Lord. As the ushers come forward, please be generous, be faithful, be filled with gratitude for all the Lord has done.
Please be seated. As we come to a time of prayer, I invite you to still your, yourself and center your heart and mind. Put away the distractions that would take you away from this place and this moment and God's presence. When we come to God, we come fully present. And so let's go to God in prayer. You, O oh God, of the wild, bounding seas and the verdant hills that roll on and on, and the grasses that beckon as they bend and sway with the wind when it whispers and when it howls, you who cannot be contained by walls or roofs, cannot be confined by song or poem, you who are mysterious in your ways and abundant with your gifts, spilling them into the cup of our days, overflowing and running like a river nourished by divine will. You, O oh God, who bends close to hear our softest murmur and our deepest sigh and brings the shattered into the cradle of wholeness. We give you thanks and praise because we have come to worship you. And, O oh God, you have pleased us in that we have pleased you. God, we are made bold by the oak of our heritage. So many have walked before us and listened and worshiped and served and built the walkways to your kingdom. Help us to serve in that construction, word by word, action by action, kindness by kindness, truth by truth. We will lay down the pavers and clear the way. Remind us, O oh God, that we are the workers, not the master builders, and that we must use the guides and plans that you have provided. We ask that you would motivate us to study and do your work, inspire us to pray and do your will, and stir us to serve and be your laborers, for the harvest is plentiful. And, O oh God, as we recite our prayers and make our confessions, as we cling to your commandments and seek your will, empower us to commit ourselves to the work of peace and elegant stewardship of this world of fierce oceans and rolling hills. We pray that peace will embrace this good earth. We pray that the light of your will, that we should love one another, will shine in every corner of this planet and that children will have a safe place to thrive and grow into a future that brings your hope and your salvation to this wounded world. These things we pray because we know that all things rest in your hands. You are the one who has motivated and inspired and changed us to desire these very things. And so we lift them up to you, O oh God, and we pray them together with the prayer that your Son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen. You are invited to open your pew Bibles to page 223 in the Old Testament for a reading from the 11th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, starting at the 18th verse. You shall put these words of mine in your heart and soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and fix them as an emblem on your forehead. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you are at home and when you are away and when you lie down and when you rise. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. The next reading is on page 9 of the New Testament from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, beginning with verse 7. When you are praying... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Most people do things most of the time the same way because most of the time it is more efficient and more successful to do them that way. Let me say this again and then we'll see if you agree. Most people do most things mostly the same way most of the time because most of the time It is more efficient and more successful to do them that way. Do you agree? Sure. Let me give you an example from the life of Jack Baca. (laughs) Most every morning when I arise, I come downstairs My route into the kitchen takes me past the refrigerator, but I go immediately to the coffee machine. I punch the button on the coffee machine so it can start to warm up, and then I reach into the cupboard above the coffee machine and take out a coffee cup. I then turn 180 degrees and backtrack my steps a few feet to the refrigerator. 
I take my right hand, I open the door of the refrigerator and reach in with my left to pull out the cream. I pour the cream into the bottom of the cup, close the refrigerator, go back to the coffee machine and make my coffee and begin my day. However, recently we had a new refrigerator installed, but it did not work. And so instead, the company sent a temporary substitute that we had to put in a different place in the kitchen. This meant that instead of turning 180 degrees to walk back to the refrigerator to get my cream to put in my cup to go make my coffee, now I had to turn a mere 90 degrees to head toward the substitute temporary replacement refrigerator. All well and good, except that it took me at least two weeks <laughs> to remember that we had a substitute fridge and that the old fridge that had been replaced with the new fridge that was useless didn't have my cream in it. We spent more on that new refrigerator than you used to have to spend to buy a brand new car. <laughs> well, eventually I got used to where the cream was and I was able to go to the new refrigerator and get my cream and make my coffee. But then, about two months later, the replacement for the new refrigerator came in and it was reinstalled and, and it took me another two weeks to get used to the old way of getting my cream. Don, you have no idea how much I've suffered the last couple of months. <laughs> most people do most things mostly the same way most of the time because most of the time it's more efficient and more successful to do them that way. Shall we talk about time? Most of the time we get up at the same time in the morning and we go to bed at the same time at night except when someone changes the time <laughs> in the attempt to elongate the day. I don't need to say much about that. What are, what are the habits and the routines and the rituals of your life. Sometimes change is forced on us and it's not easy to adjust. Sometimes we purposely change things ourselves because we hope that there's a better way. Sometimes we don't change even though we know we probably should and there's a price to pay for that. Let's talk today about our habits, about our routines, about the rituals of our lives, especially when it comes to the practice of our faith in Jesus Christ. We are just now past the middle of a series of sermons this fall about 
one of the classic rituals and habits and routines of faith, the business of worship. We've been talking about how every aspect of our worship is meant to nourish our relationship with Christ. Everything that we say, everything that we do, the way in which we do it, the place in which we do it, all of this is meant to be an encouragement, an inspiration, an education in who we are as disciples of Jesus. Everything in our worship is based in some kind of habit or routine or ritual. We've talked about various aspects of our worship. The routine of presenting tithes and offerings to God to remind us that everything we have comes from God and everything we have ultimately needs to be offered back to Him to be used in the way that, that He would have us use it. We've talked about our prayer, our individual prayer, our corporate prayer. We've talked about our engagement with the Word of God as we read the Word, as we hear about the Word. We've talked about making sure that we worship the one true God and not something else. We've talked about the danger of neglecting this habit, this routine, this ritual of Christian practice. The danger of not worshiping and instead worshiping someone else. The danger of not worshiping and instead thinking that everything belongs to us and that God has nothing to say to us. Today, what I want to talk about is the dynamics of habit and routine and ritual as indispensable aids to successful discipleship. And as is our habit, we will go to the Scriptures. In the book of Deuteronomy, we have a very long speech, essentially, perhaps several that have been put together, given by Moses. It occurs in that time of Israel's history when the Hebrew people have left slavery behind in Egypt. They have wandered around in the wilderness for several decades. Now they are camped in the plains of Moab to the east of the promised land, east of the Jordan River in what is today we know as modern Jordan. The people are about ready to cross the river and to come into the promised land. And so Moses, their leader for several decades, is reminding the people in this one last speech about their history, the story of God saving them from slavery and being with them in the wilderness and teaching them who they are teaching them who they will become, teaching them how to live. And in all of that, Moses explains the law of God. Moses says to the people that they are to take this tradition, this history, this law, everything that they have learned about the Lord, not just in the Ten Commandments, but in their experience of God in the wilderness. They are to take all of these things and keep them forever and always 
in front of them. He says that they are meant to bind these things onto themselves. They are to fix them in their hearts. They are to teach them to their children. They are to talk about them constantly. They are to write about them. In the ancient Jewish tradition, what the people did, literally, was to take small pieces of leather and fashion them into small boxes about an inch, maybe an inch and a half square, and to write on the parchments some of the words of the history, perhaps the Ten Commandments. Those boxes were called, and still are, phylacteries. If you are ever in the presence of very orthodox, very traditional Jews on certain holidays and certain days, sometimes some of them every single day, they take these boxes and they literally bind them to their forearm or bind them to their forehead as a way of reminding them what the law of God is. They are bound, they are fixed so that they can teach, so that they can talk, so that they can remember who they are. Another tradition developed, the tradition of the mezuzah. Essentially, a mezuzah is a, a small box, a small receptacle of some kind on, in which is contained then another written version, again, perhaps the Ten Commandments, some other important passage from the Scripture, and the box would be affixed to the doorpost of the house and beside the doorway of all of the important rooms of the house. In those two ways, the Jews literally bound themselves to the story that gave them their identity and their purpose in life. Now, that might seem a little bit extreme, perhaps, to modern Western, generally Protestant Christians, but there's something to be said for always having the Word of the Lord in front of you, is there not? There's something to be said for it because of the reason for it. Notice that Moses says, bind the word on your body, fix the word in your homes, teach the word constantly to your children, talk about it wherever you are, whenever you are, so that, so that you can live long, and so that the days of your children will be long, so that you will never forget who you are and who you are meant to be. This is an ancient habit, a routine, a ritual of our spiritual forebears, and of course, over time, many, many others began to develop. The habit of worship, the habit of prayer, the habit of, her, of service, the habit of setting aside certain holy days, what we call holidays. Why? So that people's relationship with God stays healthy and stays strong. Now, fast forward many hundreds of years, and along comes a new rabbi teaching the old ways but with decidedly new twists. This rabbi has gathered with the disciples that have been spending some time with him, and they observe 
an observant Jew praying aloud on a street corner. And I have to think that as these disciples turned to their master to see what his response would be to this public display of piety, they saw flash across his face a look of perhaps concern or perhaps a look of judgment even. And so the disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus said, pray in this way. And then he gave them a simple prayer, a prayer that could be easily memorized and remembered, a prayer that is a model for all of our other prayers, a prayer that became a way for the people to take the fancy, flowery, routine, ritualized, and eventually largely meaningless prayers of the people and take prayer back to what it is meant to be. We have habits and routines and rituals that sometimes can go astray. There are problems with doing the same thing the same way all the time. Things can get boring. How many of you have ever been bored in church? (laughs) I'll bet I've been to church more than most of you. I have a right to get bored in church. Our habits, our routines can become overly complicated. I'm not casting judgment on this, but years and years ago, Helen and I went to a a wedding service in an Orthodox church, and as we walked in, they handed us a booklet that was the bulletin for the service that was 50 pages long. I knew right then it wasn't going to be a 45-minute service. (laughs) It was beautiful. I learned so much, but, but it was so complicated, we had to have a guide to take us through that worship. Sometimes worship and our habits can become overly complicated. Oftentimes, we forget what all of these things mean because we've been bored, because we can't keep it all straight. All of this becomes disconnected from the reality of our lives, and so One of the problems with the ways that we always do things is that we need to refresh them. We need to realign them. We need to remember what they're all about. That's what Jesus was doing when he taught the disciples once again about prayer. Now, I acknowledge the difficulties because I want us then to look at the advantages, the possibilities, the power that comes from our habits and our routines and our rituals. One of the things that comes from out of all this is that we are given the opportunity to teach important things to our children. You know, kids won't learn anything unless you teach them. Some of what you teach them, they simply uh, absorb from observing you. And with the way some of us live, that's pretty dangerous. (laughs) 
We need routine, habitual ways of teaching our children and teaching ourselves. That's what our rituals and practices give to us. They also give to us the opportunity to take us out of our little narrow ways of doing things. As a Protestant, I had learned a particular way to do weddings that was pretty quick, pretty efficient, pretty simple. But in reading through a 50-page booklet over two hours, I learned a whole lot of new ways of looking at marriage, at looking at the blessing of what a wedding was meant to be all about. We need other people's habits and routines and rituals to take us out of our own little lives. We need those things to correct our tendencies to focus too narrowly in only one place on only one thing. We need habit and ritual and routine sometimes to do something for us that we simply cannot muster the energy to do for ourselves. How many times have you felt the urge to pray to talk to God, to say something to God, but you didn't know how to say it. You didn't know what to do with it. You couldn't even think. Most people that I know of in very, very stressful situations go immediately to the habit, the ritual, the routine of the Lord's prayer. You see, sometimes we need to be gathered together to practice our faith together because there ain't nothing left inside of us. And we need others and the community of faithful practice to bring us along. And in fact, that's one of the other advantages of our habit and our ritual and routine is that we get to do them together. How would it be if I said, let's turn to any page in the hymnal that you want to turn to and let's all sing together 350 different hymns all at once? That'd be kind of tough to pull off. Our routines, our rituals enable us to celebrate our community and to become a community. Not just with the church today, but the church from thousands of years ago. And someday the church thousands of years from now. We are blessed with the rich repository of tradition. The tradition of the Lord's Prayer. The ritual of the sacraments like baptism and communion. The great word of the ancient church in hymns and songs and spiritual songs, in art, in music, in architecture, in holy days. The list goes on and on and on. Most of the time we do the things we've always done them and sometimes we change, but we always strive to remember what we are doing and why and what it's all about. Sometimes we jigger things here and there only for the purpose of coming back to the heart of what it's all about so that you and I can live in a constant dynamic relationship with a living God. I believe that there's no way to get away from habit and ritual and routine 
Over the course of my lifetime and, and professional ministry, so to speak, we've had the introduction of something that we call contemporary worship now. And if anything has happened to our contemporary worship, it's that it has become traditional. <laughs> and that's okay, because that's just human life. That's just human life. Every new way that we create to do something eventually becomes the old way, and that's okay. What's not okay is just to leave things where they are, meaningless, devoid, empty activity. You and I have the job of remembering why we do the things that we do. One of the things that the church always has done, sometimes a little bit differently, sometimes in the old ways, but one of the things we always do is to do what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new habit, a new routine, a new ritual. It's going to be based in the things that we always do, the meal. Sometimes the holy meal of Passover, but frankly, any meal where we have bread and wine in the meal, as we break bread, as we drink wine, we're going to remember who the Savior is and what He has done for us, and that He still lives with us and for us and invites us to come always to Him to be nourished and strengthened. Ministering in the name of Jesus Christ, I invite you to come to the table that He has prepared. Come from east or west, from north or south. You need not have special pedigree, special training, special belief, only a thirst and a hunger for the Savior in your life. Come, let's enjoy. On the very night of his betrayal, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and declared to his disciples, this is my body broken for you, Whenever you eat this, remember me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the sign of the new covenant sealed in my blood. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the saving death of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. We shall practice an ancient tradition that went away for a while, that then was brought back, the tradition of intinction. You will be invited by the ushers to come down to the chancel area to take a piece of the bread, to dip it into the cup, to receive the communion, and then to return to your seats by the outer aisle. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let's enjoy.
Will you please pray with me? God, we thank you so much that you have seen fit to set this table and host us, that you have welcomed us without borders or boundaries, that you have, you have welcomed us in the state that we're in, no matter what, because we love you and because we know that you have loved us first. We thank you, God, that you are a mystery, that you are Father and Son and Holy Spirit all in one, we admit that we don't know even how to begin to untangle it. And yet we know that we've not been called to do that. Just to trust and to have faith and to believe. And so God, we come to you as your creation. Thankful that you created the world, that you came to walk among us, and that you still thrive and live and have your being within us as the Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, that we are given the privilege of worshiping and serving you. And we thank you, God, that we have this day to make a brand new day to serve you and love you. We pray all of these things with gratitude and thanksgiving. In the name of our living Savior, Jesus, amen.
It's really, really, really important to know how to find the cream. Sometimes you can find it in the same old place, in the same old way, but sometimes you got to change. That's the way it is with faith, is it not? That old, old story is a story that will never change, but it is a story that we must celebrate and remember and share, sometimes in the old ways, sometimes in the new. So your homework for this week is to think about some old, old habit, a ritual, a tradition that still speaks to your heart and thank God for it. And then think about one that maybe you've laid aside that might say some new things today. Or find a new one and learn from what it has to say to you. Some things never change, and this never changes. The blessing of God. So now may God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit bless and be with you today and always. Let God's people say together, Amen. Amen.